Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Now, the economy is changing and the internet is behind it. It's enabled collaboration, which can be a good thing. It could improve productivity, for example, except it doesn't seem to be. It could help people find jobs that they might not otherwise get access to, but it's also creating the gig economy and forcing wages down. So is a collaborative economy, the sharing economy, the internet economy, call it what you will, is it a good thing or a bad thing? We'll look at that today on the Debunking Economics podcast. So, Steve, there is probably a, uh, a question of definition here because there is the gig economy and there is the collaborative economy. I'm not sure they're necessarily the same thing because when I think of the collaborative economy, I think of eBay and the like, the idea that we can get stuff from each other rather than buying from huge corporations. So the fact that eBay has become a, a, a huge corporation is by the by. Uh, but now companies are starting to see the advantages of sharing. So, for example, rather than selling you things, they put you on a subscription. Uh, and I'm just wondering whether that can be a good thing because it removes the need for built-in obsolescence. So I'll give you a great example. I've uh, subscribed to uh, HP, Hewlett-Packard. I bought one of their printers fairly cheap and now they're making money out of me because i'm on this subscription model but what it does mean is uh, when my uh, ink cartridge runs out rather than me just chucking it away and all that plastic going into landfill uh, they send me an envelope i send it back and in the meantime they've sent me refill cartridges and they know when to refill it and i've noticed those cartridges that they send because obviously they want to cut their costs down as much as possible they last three or times more than the cartridges that you'd buy in a shop because the incentive for them is to reduce waste and reduce costs. I just think that is one of the positive signs of a uh, uh, th this new economy and new ways of doing things facilitated by the internet. That's going to be a good thing, hasn't it, even if big companies are doing it? Well, I think it has to be big companies because, you know, you can't – if people are selling stuff on eBay, aren't making stuff, they're buying it and selling it uh, and doing arbitrage most of the time. No, but they're not chucking uh, it away, so that's a good thing. Well, in, in this particular case, yeah, that's interesting. Four times as long? You mean actually the cartridge is using <laughs> – Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They last wow. forever. Maybe not four times, certainly three. Um, yeah. Because they, wow. they just, it just shows how little ink they put into these cartridges normally because they want you to go to the shops and buy another one. But if you're actually sending it to a subscription, they don't they want to cut down their mailing costs, so bang, you get four times as much output. Absolutely, yeah. I, want to, I, want to, I, I would like you to do a test on that. that. This is a bit of academic research for you, my dear good, good friend. Mm. Uh, get, buy a set from the, from the, uh, from the shop. Uh, like, you know, take take out the... They won't, they won't, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just tell me how many pages. They'd be quite curious to find out. But, like, that's not so much the gig economy as what they call in, in, in intelligent devices. 
yeah. because what's going on there is your printer. But it's, but it's also the idea of, uh, of just turning us into a subscription model. And uh, and everything becoming a subscription model, and and uh, maybe this is maybe I've gone off at a different tangent right at the beginning of all that of this. Bit, but that's okay. But, we, 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 but, you and you and I do have a lot of fun with tangents. We do. Uh, we get back eventually. But hmm. but if I shared a car, for example, if if I had a car and subscription rather than buying it, does that mean that we wouldn't have any built-in obsolescence? Because the same thing would apply if I'm if I'm borrowing it. The car company wants to ensure that it keeps running for as long as possible uh, without them having to do any maintenance on it. Well, so- there's another, another, like another thing which is similar to what we're seeing, uh, not so much with Uber, what we're talking about with uh, self-driving cars in the future as well. Mm. The main hassle with cars is uh, they're great from getting to point A to point B. The trouble is when you get to point B, you've got to park them. Yeah. And then they sit there unused all day. And when you when when and when you then try to get going back, you know all, all cars going back at the one time. If cars were used instead on the subscription service you're talking about, uh, then you could subscribe to a car. It would turn up at your doorway, particularly if they're self-drive, deposit uh, you at your uh, destination, and head back to get the next person. And that way, you would have a, a dr- dramatic increase in the efficiency of car transportation. And built-in obsolescence would not be there because the the complete opposite. They want it to last for as long as possible. And then let's let's look, look at mobile phones. We had a situation where Apple are saying that they're not selling as many iPhones. Well, no shit, Sherlock. We've all got a mobile phone. The only reason we keep on buying them is because they only seem to last a couple of years. But if they move towards a more of a subscription type model where they add extra capabilities on the existing hardware, then again, they want the hard. They've, They've got another way to make money without supplying hardware. They're making it from services, which is where Apple's trying to move now. Although so, one, of the dilemmas, one of the dilemmas there, though, is that uh, when you have technological progress occurring in the hardware, then that just doesn't work. I mean, the advantage of printer cartridges is you're not going to get a, 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 a such a dramatic increase in the quality of red over time that you're going to, you know, it's 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 a stock. It's now become a stock item. Mm. Uh, what will what will change if they if they find dramatically better ways to include the ink in the printer itself? Then okay, you've got to make a technological change. With t- phones, of course, you know there's forever technological progress going on, and, and the, the companies will want us to continue buying it to finance an investment they're putting in there in the first place. So I don't think the subscription thing would work that well on technologies where there's a rapid rate of change. But um, but um, there's a lot of chucking away though, isn't there? I'm just wondering, you oh. know, maybe, maybe there would be ways where we say, okay, well, we can slip out this part and put this part in. You know, go into the store, change this, uh, and you know, you get a more efficient way of operating that way. You know, rather than just chucking the whole thing into uh, into landfill. Well, that's big. Then that's the case. So, how do we redesign manufacturing to reduce the amount of waste we're generating? Yeah. Again, that comes back to the point we discussed in the, one of the last podcasts that uh, when we tend to be more efficient about things, we end up using more energy and more of the stuff rather than less. And we are facing a dilemma where we can't get away with that. But there are certainly ways in which that subscription model could dramatically reduce the waste we currently generate. Uh, so long as we're willing to get away from the the world of believing, well, I've got my car, you know, I want my car. Mm. Uh, and uh, if your car, and this is the, the vision that Tesla has, uh, that at one point once they get the, uh, if they ever get, <laughs> I said once they, let's say if they do, get the self-driving completely nailed, then it means when you hop out of your car, um, you can then uh, send the car off to, to work as a taxi. 
uh, or other people can use yeah. it for so, so much more efficient. Absolutely. I mean, it's making greater use of a resource that we already have. And on the waste thing, looking at some numbers from the World Bank, uh, we can expect to produce 2.2 billion tonnes of waste by 2025. That's 1.4 kilos of waste per person per day. So, mm. I mean, we can recycle more, but it'd be better not to be throwing out stuff in the first place. And again, that's where sort of like this idea of, well, if we can borrow stuff more than buy it, then throw it away. That's got to be good for the planet. But is there a business model across all sectors that can sort of support that approach? Yeah, there's certainly across quite a few there is. And, uh, and, and that's that's a feasible improvement. But at the same and uh, because they, they, that's uh, that's the idea. Can we improve our position in terms of the ecological issues? We've, we've drifted under that rather than gig economy. Let this go back to the gig at some point. Mm. But uh, but that that is an increase in efficiency. And there are. And certainly in, in the transportation, there's enormous room for that because so much of the energy is simply wasted. And you know, we know the other story of a, of a car, a car for capacity for five, normally moving moving one person, but then it sits there unused for eight hours before it's or, or ten or twelve, given current workloads, before it's before it's driven back again. Uh, only a tiny amount of the energy that's actually used in the whole process actually does what we call transportation, which is moving your body weight from one point to another in a given time. So there are there are rooms for improvement in the efficiency there. Uh, under normal circumstances, we just simply drive more. Uh, under what we need, we can hopefully say, well, let's just drive the same amount and drastically reduce the energy and the waste component. Well, if you're showing a car, you can't. Well, I mean, you can, I guess you, the more you drive, then the more cars there's going to be on the road. But maybe, maybe that's where you, you know, you have a pricing mechanism, uh, which makes it, you know, not cost effective to drive an awful lot. You can start to, you know, have a, a curve that increases perhaps o- over time. So you don't need to. The company doesn't need to invest in quite so many cars. There's going to be a break-even point, isn't there, where they go, uh, it, we've got enough cars now. If we have any more, then we're only going to use them half the time. So better to actually push the price up so people don't travel quite as much so we don't need quite as many cars mm, yeah i mean again i'm a skeptical about that actually working in practice but there certainly there are ways in which though the uh, intelligent device stuff you're talking about uh, more so than the gig economy can make us use more efficiently yeah. what we're currently wasting energy on right now. Well, we're, we're talking about the sharing economy, aren't we, rather than the gig economy. They are very different things. If the sharing economy, I see it as being uh, sort of a bit more community-focused. It's it's all about sustainability. It's about resource efficiency. The gig economy is just uh, being used as a, uh, a, as a term for companies that want to basically pay people uh, very low wages. Yeah, and then they, and the, the, and the people being employed take the risk of the business not being as as viable as it was planned to be in the first place because they get paid less money. Uh, so that you now that's why I'm quite negative about the gig economy overall because it's just been a case of exploiting people's insecurity and, and lack of full time employment. But uh, in terms of the, the sharing economy, um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, for example, one there's an old guy from. Uh, my days back in Australia called Ted Trainer, who's based at the University of New South Wales, has been an avid uh, person pushing for us to be ecologically sustainable uh, for, for many decades. And one of uh, Ted's points was that if we currently have a refrigerator per house on a block of block of land, he said, it, it's, this might sound, sound weird, but I'm actually sort of living this experience to some extent, living where I do in, in Amsterdam. He would prefer to have a, 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 you know, each... each um, um, you know, suburban um, block, block, yeah, yeah. not no, suburban, Has- not block, the not block of land that way, but the 
Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> no, the group, a group, group of right. a group of apartment, we all share a fridge. That would be like yeah. going back into student days where everyone's got to write their name on, and, and then suddenly you go, hang on, who's eating my yogurt? And yeah, uh, know, it's, it's those people in number 10. They did it. But, yeah, uh, but yeah. take the point. But but then you, know, you put locks on it, I guess. But, yeah, the idea that we have sh- a shared capability. Well, that's like having uh, – the idea of all of that is it reduces costs. If I run a business and I share equipment with other businesses, it cuts my costs. Like if I'm a farmer and I'm sharing a tractor or office folk who are sharing office space, that reduces costs. So forget about the environment. It's got to be a sensible thing in terms of reducing your – the expenses of your business, hasn't it? There's something something that also overlaps partially with this whole fetish for outsourcing, which is it goes in the opposite direction because often that says, well, let's just focus on your own business and outsource the the other stuff to somebody who's more of an expert. But often what you find is that actually increases your costs because you're pulling in people who are working on 10 or 20 different um, types of companies or issues on a daily basis, never get to know what your own internal problems are, mm. and you, you never get a full solution. You end up with half-baked solutions all the time. I've certainly seen that in terms of computer databases where people have outsourced uh, the knowledge of databases and say, we'll just bring in and you know, pay for an expertise to come in. And what they get, you, you, it isn't so much that the people who are purchased to do it are, are bad compared to the internal people. It's people making the decisions about which databases buy haven't got an effing clue of what they're doing and buy crap. And the people that the top management buys this stuff, which doesn't work well at all, if he had an internal expert, they'd say, don't touch this with a barge pole. Uh, instead, bang, it turns up and everybody's using it. You've outsourced it. You've effectively done the sharing economy thing because rather than having your own internal expert, you're now calling an Oracle expert somewhere or so on, so on and so forth. But you will produce the database, which is garbage for the people inside the company. So there are ways in which this idea to share everything can have very negative consequences for productivity and efficiency. Yeah, if you if you're taking sharing as meaning outsourcing, but on the, you know on the other side, if you're if you're sharing a resource that might draw you together with other people who are using the same resource, you know you might find that you're you're sharing expertise that way. So it could uh, it could work the other way. But I take your point. And, and Tesla, I know you love Elon Musk. He's never spoken about. <laughs> he never mentioned you, but uh, but you love him. And he's. Uh, I mean, you look at Tesla. And you look at SpaceX, uh, you know, how are they managing to make stuff in the United States when there's much lower labor costs, obviously, uh, in other parts of the world? And the answer is exactly what you've described there, because they get all their experts together. They don't buy stuff. They make stuff. If they need a widget, they make that widget to their specification and they do it and they have the office in the factory and uh, it's all very close and um, it's like a closed shop. Yeah, and and so there's the argument that the you know, that's that's one reason I'm skeptical about the idea of the sharing economy and so on because mm. often it is that level of overwhelming uh, global expertise about what you're doing so you know what the um, what the what the thread angle is on that nut because you damn well need it uh, whereas often you'll out you know if you go to let's you know, go to a share the skills of another. Uh, thread manufacturer, you'll get what they do for everybody else. Or when you tell them what they actually want in specifications, it won't come back that way. One of my favorite uh, personal illustrations of that was a company called Impact back in Australia, high-end computer uh, assembler stroke manufacturer back in Australia. Uh, they told me that the hardest thing they had to get right and we're back in the days when we used to have circuit boards you installed in, in, the, in your computer all the time, was to get the, met- the metal hinge that lets you attach it to the chassis, that was the hardest thing to get right because guess what? That was outsourced mm. and they could never get the manufacturer to make the damn shape right. 
you know, and, and so that was the biggest struggle in a, in a high-end computing company was getting the bent metal to have the right shape. But is that really the sharing economy or is that just outsourcing? So I think of the sharing economy and I do think of uh, just sharing a piece of equipment. Okay, your point is if you share a piece of equipment, is it the right piece of equipment that you want? But let's look at it in the consumer space. And the obvious thing is Airbnb. You know, is is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, the if you run a hotel chain, you'll say it's a really bad thing because it's pushed down the cost of, uh, of, of, of accommodation. Um, but if you are somebody who's uh, not able to get away very often because it's too expensive, it's a great thing. But if you're then living in a building where it happens all the time, it's a bad thing. So you know, sharing has negative consequences. Yeah, but it may, but I mean, it means the rooms that are lying dormant are being used. So or that's it a good means thing. the people that are, the people that uh, <laughs> you know uh, would otherwise either have to leave a long-term tenant whom you can get to know in a community, uh, are putting in people who are in and out on a, on a three-day basis. And 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 the damage there, there, you, there might be fairly strong controls over not damaging the property they're renting. But what happens to the actual infrastructure of the entire building? That can be another story entirely. And again, I've seen that as one reason. In part of Amsterdam, I'm in the uh, the, the state is now saying we're going to go from allowing you to have three months per year of that to to one month, and maybe even down to stage of just two weeks a year. So the sharing economy has negative externalities. To quote a Another classic economic term, right? And but on the other side, you've got a room there that's got, that's presumably using power. Um, you know, you know what it's like in Amsterdam, middle of winter. You're still going to have the heating on, whether there's somebody there or not, because you don't want the pi- the pipes to freeze. So uh-huh. you're still using up all that energy. If there's nobody in there, then that's uh, then that's a you know that's a that's a that's a big waste. If you can get somebody in, uh, and if if those people weren't coming in there and multiply that out by however many, you'd be building more hotels to accommodate all of those people, which would be using extra energy. Oh, well, you end up using more people traveling because they can do it more cheaply and you get the same old Jevons paradox coming uh, back. Yeah. Again. Okay, that's true. So, yeah. We should all stay at home. But it's a complicated issue. And I think uh, there are certainly ways in which, like your, your, your example wasn't really about the sharing economy. It was, it was about you know, intelligent devices mm. and that reducing. That, I think I, I have more time for that because fundamentally I am someone who believes that manufacturing is something manufacturers do. Uh, and, and in the same front, accommodation is something hotels do and so on. And what you get with the gig economy is people saying, well, let's use the fact that some people own cars that they're not using otherwise. Let's give them a role in Uber. Let's give them people who've got spare rooms that they're going to become a mini hotel and so on. What it's doing is outsourcing the capital investment for, for, for things like a, you know, rather having to have a courier fleet or a taxi fleet, you suddenly use people's ordinary cars rather than having to build hotels, you have people using their spare rooms. Uh, it ends up being, it can end up, and it certainly seems to be the case with Uber, that uh, you're getting people who are, only considering this gig because their, their pay rates are low because the old jobs they used to work in aren't there anymore. Uh, they've got the insecurity of the gig economy and they're competing against each other to keep prices down. And uh, it, it, it becomes a, uh, it's a distort society in a lot of ways. I would, I would rather have a society where you know, manufacturing production and stuff was controlled by the corporate sector and where they, the corporations took the risks of that rather than shafting it onto individuals as is, is part of the impact of the gig economy. Right. 
I mean, there's different dimensions to all of this, isn't there? Because another one is just this whole sense of community that we see, which is more about uh, allocating work or giving you jobs that you might not otherwise have got access to, and you know, in every line of work. So, for example, uh, you know, this if uh, they never give me any work, but I've tried a few times. There's there's websites where you can pitch for voice work, so voiceovers for videos or whatever it might be. You know, you wouldn't have access to those sorts of jobs if these websites didn't exist. So that's uh, so that's sort of like a community that you join and you offer your expertise. That I mean, that can only be a good thing because that is because uh, that's giving people the ability. Although you could argue, well, actually, they, they, the only reason they, they're spreading the net wider is because they they were going to do it cheaper. And that's also they look at obviously particularly in companies like uh, freelancer and so on in, in the yeah. computing world. We can get, get paid one penny a word uh, on sites like freelancer. Yeah, yeah, well, and you and you also have it. Where's actually <laughs> are you old enough? You don't think you are, but I used to earn a dollar a word mm. when I wrote for the computing magazines back in Australia in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. Uh, so what we've seen is in that sense the the, the risk of of being a freelancer has been passed on to the freelancers. Yeah. It hasn't been absorbed by the companies. And that's, again, the reason I have a lot of scepticism about the gig economy. Dollar a word. I mean, that is incredible. A dollar a word. I got paid for Australian, <laughs> Australian Computing and your computer magazine. And I would occasionally, you're not joking here, I, my biggest article ever was 7,000 words. <laughs> well, my goodness. You, were, still, you were raking it in. So now, I so, still remember. There's got to give this to say, The Reddit was a good friend of mine. I've forgotten his name now, but he was good mates back in those days. Right. And I submitted this article and he it was about a company, Frank Perkin called Framework, and he rang. He said, "I said I'm going to slash the shit out of this thing," and it was it was a brilliant piece of software destroyed by Microsoft, uh, as most things are, but brilliant piece of software. And here, the next thing, I got a phone call in my office, and all I heard was his voice saying, "You bastard!" <laughs> he couldn't cut a couldn't single word. word. Right. So you got paid the whole amount. So, yeah, look, when I, not that many years ago, just a few years ago, uh, the going rate for writing technology pieces like you were writing would be, if you're lucky, it would be 50 cents a word, if mm. you were really lucky. And you, mm. as you say, you'd be taking all the risk in all of that. But again, that gets back to uh, the freelance economy, doesn't it, really? Rather than people being employed by companies, they t- all the risk gets passed on to the individual. And that is, that is what we're seeing with the gig economy. So that is definitely a bad thing. Mm. And the trouble is it's because people have you know, lost the security that used to exist with mm. full-time jobs and with the unions giving them some protection about their conditions and some capacity to negotiate their wages. Uh, again, economic theory has played a major role in saying, oh, that's all terrible. That that means uh, you know, wages are too high using their crazy microeconomic analysis, which doesn't even take into account the power issues that their own microeconomic analysis can talk about with what they call monopsony and monopoly. So uh, it's, it, it, this is, you know, my, my mixed feelings come out of these being things which if we had an ideal society where these things were done to more efficiently use resources or or s- spread the available pool of talent and so on, then it would be a good thing. But because it's tied up with the inequality and the power relations of our modern society, it can end up being very exploited and very damaging. Right, but contrary to that, the, I mean, an argument from the World Economic Forum uh, is... Oh, well, that's, that's a reliable source. <laughs> it is, so there we are. So, okay, we can just instantly discount it. 
So let's move on. No, no, let me tell you what they said anyway. So they say the uh, the sharing economy enables people to access things that they might not otherwise be able to afford. So they provide an on-ramp to greater economic participation. So it could be a boost to productivity if that was the case, couldn't it? I mean, if and and I guess the the example here might be, well, yeah, okay, I'm uh, I don't earn a great deal. I've got a spare room, so I'm going to do an Airbnb thing, and then uh, that works so well. uh, I suddenly and I make so much money from it. I'm going to all of a sudden I'm going to build a hotel and um, <laughs> become a hotelier. I don't know. Yeah, no, which, which doesn't happen. <laughs> but people are considering doing it because you know, their finances are tight. They need an extra way of getting money. Uh, the, the service turns up, let's take advantage of it. And then you find yourself competing against each other with excess rooms as well. Uh, and it becomes a, you know, you suddenly, what should be a place where you go back home to relax, becomes a place where you go back home to manage and say, have you had enough coffee? Would you like another cup of tea, sir? Or things like that. Mm. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's it, 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 it actually remember a fabulous skit by old Barry Humphreys. Uh, you, you, you said something which is going to be outside most people's experience here, but Australian comedian Barry Humphreys invented a guy called Sandy Shaw. Yeah. And San, Sandy Shaw uh, was a, a, a total wimp of a human being uh, who was always dominated by his wife and who just did what was what was required. And normally you ended up you know, laughing about Sandy Shaw's situation. Uh, you know, this person lost in the middle of progress and still trying to hark back to the 1950s. But at one at the end of one of the things he said, you know, I think we had it better than you guys do now. It's this ghost of, Andy, of, of Sandy Shaw walking up and down a uh, supermarket um, saying that uh, men used to, used to, yes, they used to be sexist and men went off to work and the women stayed at home and so on. He said, but the kids... The, 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 you had a community of people back back at home, the the, the wives and the and the the children playing together. They had a community of their own. The men went off. They met each other. They knew each other on the train. There was a social mix there. Um, he said, you know, leaving aside the sexism that applied in those days, he said, I think we had it better. We had a good community at work and a good community at home. You guys <laughs> have messed it all up. <laughs> So look, I think it's where you, that is of its time, isn't it? The I think we what we're saying is that um, sharing economy is good. The gig economy is not so good. The sharing economy is good when it when it's applied almost at the corporate level. When you start to say the sharing economy is like a peer to peer type economy, that's where you start to have problems with it. But if we're looking at uh, innovation through you know companies moving towards subscription models for example then that's probably a good thing because you know as we started out you know you get you get to this stage where companies have got every reason to make their products more efficient because they want them to last longer and that's what we then what are we doing that was not so much uh uh, going from not sharing to sharing, but you're going from having to pass through a retail system to having a direct link with the manufacturer or the distributor. Mm. And look at the Amazon's been the classic on that particular front. Uh, uh, and, and that makes it easier to do things like buy books. And, uh, and like, you know, in, in that sense, yes, there is progress that way. And a subscription model does make sense. I, I loathe Microsoft Word, however, I, I pay for the subscription service for Microsoft these days because they finally made a reasonable price. They got paying $125 a year for up to five machines. That's finally reasonable. Uh, and that's feasible because I can just download the latest updates and they download automatically and, mm. and Microsoft is making it. Well, I don't have to go to a retail shop and pay for the packaging and unpack, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are definitely those advantages. Although you could use Google Docs for free of course, uh, which is strange that Microsoft's still charging for stuff that is available for free online. But uh, that's that's by the by. 
so where does this where does this end does this create it's is this does this mean that uh, i guess because out of all of this the the one i'm going to edit there Mm. So what we're talking about is a, a direct relationship then um, between the consumer and the buyer, sort of which we, we've seen, you know, the, the retail channels are, are starting to disappear. If you, if you have that relationship, and we are seeing it increasingly, we're giving away information about us. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? We're, so that, you know, the product or service is, is matched to who we are and what we want. That, that would seem like a good thing, wouldn't it? And yet we get concerned about it because of privacy questions. And yet, you, you know, you'd say, well, it could reduce waste uh, mm. because we're getting something that's exactly matched with what we want. But many people see that as an intrusion in, on, our, on our privacy in the process. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's a complex story. I mean, the, the technological advantages advances like uh, you know the internet enabling you to have machines which tell you when you're running out of ink and so on and order it for you automatically. Uh, that is definitely something which improves the efficiency of what we used to do in the past. Um, so that's 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 a you know, potentially a positive. It's a question of the power relations it falls into, which is where the gig economy is something that I'm normally fairly skeptical uh, and, and critical of. Um, but it, it, it's it, it, this. This is the complexity of the world we live in. I mean, for a start, even the retail side of things. I was just saying how good it is to have a direct relationship with the manufacturer, and not have to bother go shopping. But for some people, shopping is a social activity. Social is, uh, you know, that they, they define themselves. And believe me, I know a few. No, just go for uh, coffee. It's, it just, yeah. I, I just <laughs> want to meet people. Meet them for a coffee. Don't go shopping with them. It's, uh, but yeah, I, I know what you like, but it, 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 that is becoming uh, a thing of the past, though, isn't it? I mean, we're seeing shops close everywhere. But just yeah, this, that, yeah. this whole thing about the sharing economy, though, just generally, is it inhibiting growth or is it encouraging growth? I know it's a broad question because we've, we've covered so many, many different aspects of it. But I mean, there are some things that we are seeing, like, for exa- example, the fact that wages are going nowhere. Uh, and we do feel like we're worse off. But on the, on the other side, you know, there's a lot of innovation going on. So surely there's growth coming from this. What, what's really happening? I think the answer is yes. Uh, because, <laughs> you, you, I mean, for a start, when, when, you, when you have a, a world in which, for example, hotel accommodation is provided by hotels and nothing else, then if you're going to have more accommodation, you have to have an investment to build more hotels. If you're going to take advantage of the, the, the sharing economy and say there are all these vacant rooms everywhere, uh, then you no longer build the the, the the investment stops. You're exploiting existing capital, which is underutilized. But of course, what my point is, you're transforming something which is supposed to be somewhere you relax to something which is also a money making venture. And I think uh, you know that that space we need away from money making is an important part of maintaining our sanity, which is why we're all going crazy these days. So um, it's. But it certainly it, it would not, not necessarily lead to growth because growth requires investment. And if you're saying let's use what we've got currently, then you get less growth out of that. Now that comes back again to the question as well. You know, what are the energy implications of that? Well, then again, they're mixed because, as you say, if you have if you face paying two hundred bucks a day for a hotel versus fifty for a for an Airbnb, people are more likely to hop on a plane to fly to take advantage of the Airbnb. And then we're back on the Jevons paradox. What we've saved in terms of the construction costs and so on of the of the hotel rooms, we're now paying for by my in terms of energy by more airfare. So, do we regulate? Do we? Uh 
I mean, we we talked last time about uh, you know, do we do we need to uh, limit? Do we need to uh, sort of ration energy? Uh, do we need uh, need to ration cons- consumption generally? For example, I don't know. Do we say well? I mean, if you if you got over that it, that, that energy question, we're saying it doesn't matter how you use it, whether it's uh, you use it yourself or you're using it through some sort of collaborative means. You can only oh. use so much energy in your uh, in your day. Maybe that would control it. Yeah, well, I think I think my position is that regardless of what we think about all this stuff, we are going to be forced into it because the ecological and energy overshoot we're in right now is so dramatic, mm. and the need for conversion back is we're going to be rationing anyway, and uh, and that's going to hit uh, you know independent of whether we have a gig economy or we're back we're back in the uh, industrialized uh, manufacturing world in the nineteen fifties, whichever one was going to confront the situation, drastic change is going to be necessary. And uh, yeah, rationing will be, I think, the way the flavor. And collaboration is not going to be the answer then, because I was going into this thinking, well, collaboration has to be a good thing. You know, you've got a tractor that lies in the field and it's only used half the time. Uh, The farmer next door uses it. How can that not be a good thing? Yeah, well, that, that again, uh, you know, and then being able to know where these things are and so on. That's a technological development which would, you know, without the internet, which of course was created by uh, originally by part of the American military, the DARPA system. Uh, that's something which has given you know a, a new lease of lease of life to capitalism. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know it, it, ultimately we are a technological species. We're an innovating species and. That's why I, I have my bias in favour of these sorts of things. But looking at the social context in which it occurs and the environmental context, that's now becoming the major issue, I think, which is going to dominate everything else. Right. So what you're saying is there's no easy answer. I was, I was looking for an easy answer in half an hour. You're saying there isn't one. There you go. Bloody me again. Yeah. <laughs> that means we're going to have to explore it in a different fashion at a different time. Okay. Good to talk, Steve. Okay, mate. Chat again. And that is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen for another week. Back again, doing the same thing again next week. Hopefully we sorted something out this week. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.